No. <laughs> no. She she wasn't ready. She wasn't ready. Talk about she wasn't ready. Dan, let me talk about some of these other podcasts out there because I'll tell you who wasn't ready. Anybody that did not recommend going with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense, that's who. They weren't ready. They didn't do their homework like I did. If you listen to last episode, I talked about how Goff is number one in interceptable passes, along with number one in dangerous plays. Not only that, but Goff has three fumbles so far this year. He led the league last year with 12, so he's on track to do it all over again. He also has six interceptions this year. That's half of what he had last year as an entire year, and we're only 25% of the way through the season. He's not the same quarterback. So I'm sitting there, and I'm watching the game. And I'm a little bit nervous on this prediction because it's definitely risky seeing that Tampa Bay does not have a great defense. But the points are going up. I see the first interception. I'm like, hell yeah, I'm getting this one right. But he ended up, but he didn't end up doing anything with it. I'm like, shit, no big deal. You know, it's still early in the game. So I continue watching. And then, interception again. I'm stoked. I'm sitting there watching him make moves. He's running and then boom, ends up getting tackled. Third interception. And I'm like, this one has to be the one. But no, he ends up getting pushed out of bounds right away, only gained four yards. At this point, I'm getting a little, little bit nervous. I'm like, man, three interceptions, but all these points are getting put up. Man, I need a touchdown. I need something to happen. A couple sacks end up coming through for me. I'm like, all right, solid. Like, I'm getting some points here, here, and here. And then all of a sudden, interception return for a touchdown for the Los Angeles Rams. I'm like, motherfucker, I can't catch a break. Just get a freaking interception for a touchdown. I'm getting nervous. There's a minute left in the game. And I'm like, well, there goes my prediction. Out the window. I mean, I got the interceptions. I got the sacks. You know, it's not a bad pick. I necessarily didn't lose on it. I think I was sitting at nine points at the time. I was sitting at like seven or nine points at the time. Whatever. You know, I, I wasn't happy, but I wasn't disappointed either. You know, I ended up still getting some points in there. And then out of nowhere, Shaquille Barrett comes breaking through the offensive line. Gets a hold of Goff. Strips it. I'm standing up out of my seat. And all of a sudden, an angel comes out of nowhere, picks it up, and rumbles 37 yards for the touchdown. I could not believe it. I'm like, who is this angel? Who is this angel? Goff has the snap. He's flush on the right. He's dropped. The ball's on the deck. It's Indominus Sue picking it up at the 35. Running to the 20. The former Ram to finish it. A scoop and score for Indominus Sue in week four in L.A. That's right. That angel's name was Indomaga Sue. You never thought you'd hear Sue be referred to as an angel. But he was an angel that was watching over me yesterday for the 4 o'clock games. So, with that being said, I'm just going to read off the top defenses when it comes to fantasy points put up. Patriots are number one, but they cost you 4800 You ended up getting a 5.2 return on the Patriots yesterday. The Giants were number two. They cost you 3800 they got you a 6.3 return. The Bears were number three, and they cost you 4,700. They got you a 3.6 return. The Seahawks were number four. They cost you 3,700, and they got you a 4.3 return. 
And then fifth place, the Buccaneers, who only cost you 3200 3200 That's 1600 less. 1600 less. They got you a 4.7 return. So the number one, when it comes to ROI, is going to be the Giants, which were a solid pick. Like I said, they cost the 3800 and got you 6.3. Number two is the Patriots. And they were 4800 and they bought you a 5.2 return. And then number three were the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It cost you 32 and brought you a 4.7 return, like I said. Now here's the thing. $1,600 is what you would have saved for a 0.5 percentage return. 0.5. And they cost you $1,600 less. That's the difference between Chris Godwin and Marvin Jones Jr. Just to give you a tier breakdown. That was the difference between McCaffrey and Mark Ingram. That allowed you to play McCaffrey and Eckler on the same team. I would have much rather had Tampa Bay defense with McCaffrey and Eckler on the same team over just the Patriots defense and having to move down your values on both those other guys. Because you got 56 plus points off of those two guys. And that's why I won money on FanDuel yesterday. And why I had close to six or seven people send me personal text messages, along with countless others sending me messages on Facebook saying thank you for helping me win money. Well, you guys are welcome. And I'll help out anytime. Just keep on listening to the podcast and tell your friends about it too. Show them how you're winning money. Help them win some money. I mean, you're talking about hundreds of thousands of entrants going in. One extra person, two extra people, 10 extra people, no matter what it is, they're not going to affect it. Help them win some money. Tell them to listen to this podcast, Fantasy Intervention. You can find us on SoundCloud. You can find us on Apple iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher now, Facebook. Just help them win some money. Be a good friend. I'm going to keep doing this for you guys. I'm being your good friend. So be my good friend and be their good friend and go tell some people about this podcast. That's how you guys can pay it forward to me for helping you out. So just some stacks that paid off yesterday. Of course, the one that I recommended with Philip Rivers, Austin Eckler. Unfortunately, Keenan Allen did not produce at a high-end level like I thought he was going to be. However, they just didn't need to pass, essentially. And of course, you had Xavier Howard all over him. I was really hoping that Mike Williams played in this game because instead of Keenan Allen, I would have actually gone Mike Williams on this one, and I think it would have hit big. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. And if we played ifs, then I'd be a millionaire. So... The other stacks that ended up paying off big was, of course, the Jameis Winston, Mike Evans, and Chris Godwin stack, along with the Jared Goff stack of Robert Woods and Cooper Cup. The stack that surprised me the most was the Marcus Mariota with Corey Davis and A.J. Brown. I guess I should have seen it coming a little bit because of the Falcons' poorest defense, and I believe Neil is out, the safety for the Falcons. I got to look into that, and I'll clarify that tomorrow, but... That was an interesting, interesting stack and won a lot of people a good amount of money up until the four o'clock games. But if you played in the one o'clock games, that stack right there crushed it for you. I did not see that one coming. The other surprising stack for me was the Joe Flacco with Corlin Sutton. I believe my co-podcaster, Devin, who's not with me today, actually talked about that stack previously, but that was a little bit of a surprising one. And of course, Jarvis Landry with Baker Mayfield paid off for you as well. The one thing that I wanted to talk about where I really fucked up, and it wasn't really a fuck up, but I'm really, really pissed off about it, is Demetrius Harris was my guy. I thought he was going off this week. 
This guy's six seven, has wheels on him. And instead of him going off, it ended up being the other freaking tight end. I thought they were gonna use Demetrius Harris the same way that they use newly acquired Ricky Seals Jones. What the fuck happened with that? I mean, Demetrius Harris wasn't even targeted. It should have been Demetrius Harris with the three catches and 82 yards and the touchdown, not Ricky Seals Jones. God damn it, Browns. What are you doing? Well, winning, of course, but you could have been winning with my advice. This guy is a beast. Get him in the damn game. Ah! I don't really know what happened with this one. Uh, I gotta look into it, I gotta rewatch the game film, see what the percentage of snaps Demetrius Harris played. I'll make sure that I mention it to you guys in one of the podcasts later this week. But yes, I fucked up on that one. I still talked about Will Disley. And I still said that I would play Will Disley over Demetrius Harris. So it wasn't like I was sitting there saying, oh, you definitely need to play Demetrius Harris. I was just saying, if you want a shot in the dark and a potential league winner that's not gonna be owned, then you go with Demetrius Harris. Unfortunately, you should have gone with Ricky Seals-Jones, who still won some people a lot, a lot of money. I mean, he ended up putting up, what, 15.3 points for a tight end? God damn it. Oh, well, I told you guys. I give you guys the information. I give you guys the stats. I give you guys the matchups, and you guys can choose what you want to do with it. Obviously, the D.D. Westbrook one paid off for a lot of people. Although not a huge producer, his floor was immense. We talked a little bit about we talked a little bit about Carryon Johnson, and he did well for a lot of people. So, I still hit on way more than I missed on, but there's one or two misses that I had. I'm going to go back, re-listen to my tapes, and let you guys know so I don't make the same mistake next time. With that being said, I'm going to jump into the matchups for tonight. We have a really, really juicy one. It's almost too juicy. It's the Bengals up against the Steelers. And with these two guys, they play really, really close together. I believe last year they were very, very close games. One put up a lot more yardage and points than the other one did, but that's gonna happen. But for this one, it's extremely, extremely juicy. If you guys listened to my previous DFS podcast, I talked a lot, a lot about Mason Rudolph and the play action fake form, along with the Bengals being extremely susceptible to the play-action fake and big plays. I'm just going to do a little bit of a recap on that. And that is the Bengals' defense versus the play-action fake allows a 92% catch rate. 92% along with four touchdowns and 158.3 pass rating, which is a perfect pass rating on play-action fakes. With Mason Rudolph on play-action, he completes 69% of his passes. He has 109 rating on play action. Without play action fake, he completes 52% of his passes, has a 76.8 passer rating. So obviously that's a tremendous drop off. The Bengals defense has given up 16 explosive runs this year so far. That's why they're susceptible to the play action. So not only do they allow big plays to the running game, they're also extremely, extremely susceptible to play action. With that being said, the Steelers have run the least amount of play-action passes of any team in the NFL. In 2018, they only ran play-action 12% of the time. In 2017, it was only 11% of the time. The league average is 24%. But there's two different types of play-actions. You have the RPO, where you have the shotgun, and you pretty much decide whether you're going to hand it off to the running back, showing the defense the ball, and waiting for the defense to make a move, and then you either pull it out or you give it to the running back. If you run a regular play action fake, 
Most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, you're underneath the center, not in shotgun, like you are with the RPO. You're under center, you turn your back to the defense, the running back will end up cradling the ball or putting his arms where he would normally carry the ball and try and trick the defense into going after him while the quarterback actually has his back turned to the defense, hiding the ball, hoping that the defense will go after the running back. The reason that I bring that up is the fact that Ben Roethlisberger in the first half of week two attempted 15 passes. There was only one pass that happened when Ben Roethlisberger snapped the ball out of the regular formation and not out of shotgun. So 14 pass attempts came when he was out of the shotgun and one pass attempt came with him under center. Mason Rudolph in the second half of the Seattle game attempted 19 passes. Three of them came from when Mason Rudolph was under center. The crazy part about it is it doesn't seem like that's a lot. You're talking about three and 19 versus one and 15. But then when you sit there and you look at how many snaps Ben Roethlisberger took while he was under center. And he took a total of seven. That means that he only passed one time. Six times they ran the ball while he was under center. One time he passed. How predictable is that? But then you look at Mason Rudolph. He threw three times out of the seven times he was under center. And if you include the two-point conversion, that was a pass as well. So he's passing 50% of the time that he's under center. 50% of the time, that's a lot. Especially compared to Ben Roethlisberger's, what, 14%, I believe? 50%. And although play action can work in shotgun formations, regular play action fakes work better while you're under center instead of in the shotgun because you can't turn your back to the defense and hide the ball. This is going to help the offense and the receivers get open. Ben Roethlisberger wanted to get the ball in shotgun formation on passing plays. He wanted the receivers to beat their players and he wanted to keep his eyes downfield at all times, relying on the receivers to win. Now you have Mason Rudolph who likes to get snaps under center. He likes that. And now he can help with the play action fake in tricking the defense to come in on James Conner or Jalen Samuels while he turns, has the ball, and it allows that little extra second, that extra step for the receiver to win. And this could be huge, huge up against the Cincinnati Bengals, who are obviously susceptible, like we said, to the play-action fake. Like, am I expecting, you know, 50% of the plays to be play-action fake? Absolutely not. But all it takes is six or seven play-action fakes and three of them to work for you to have an extremely, extremely impressive stat line. Not just the quarterback, but the wide receiver positions as well. I just hope that they do it more than 12 or 11% of the time. That's all I'm hoping for. Anyways, getting on to the rest of the talk, I'm going to go over some statistics for you guys to try and stick with me on this. It's a little bit confusing. I have a completely fucked up book of notes where I've been studying this for about three hours now, and I'm going to go ahead and let you guys know what I found out in about three, four hours worth of studying this game alone. Vance McDonald, first off, notes-wise, is doubtful, so Nick Vanette, he is the most likely one to step up and fill in that position. They did just acquire him from the Seahawks, so it might be going to the other tight end. However, Nick Vanette is the more talented one, so if you're going to play a tight end in this matchup, I think Nick Vanette is the one to do. The Cincinnati Bengals have been extremely, extremely inconsistent when it comes to the tight end position. They allowed Knox to go off last week, having three of four catches for six, seven yards and touchdown up against Kittle. They allowed three receptions on three targets for 54 yards, but no touchdown. And then they were extremely, extremely stout against Seattle, who had Will Disley and Nick Vanette, obviously. 
So Nick Vanette and seeing that, that defense already this year could create a little bit of an advantageous matchup, but I'm probably going to stick away from Vanette unless I'm taking a shot in the dark or unless I need a low-end cost option. When it comes to the quarterback situation, we pretty much already talked about it with the Steelers. I really like Mason Rudolph this week. I'm probably going to be playing him in one of the flex positions in the five-person lineups. I don't know if I'm going to end up playing him in the bonus. When I put the lineup together here in a little bit, I'll let you guys know. When it comes to James Conner, his season high is 13 carries this year. He needs to be used more. He only has, I believe, four receptions is the max amount of receptions he has. He needs to get more receptions this game. The issue with that, the Bengals have been very vulnerable to running backs, but not just on the ground, in the air as well. Like, for example, they allowed Chris Carson to only rush for 3.1 yards per carry, but they gave up six targets to him on 34 yards and a touchdown. Mostert ended up having three receptions on four targets for 68 yards and a touchdown. And then the Bills didn't really need to pass, and obviously Frank Gore is not that type of running back who's going to end up in the receiving position. However, TJ Yeldon did get a couple of targets, brought him up, I believe, for around 20 yards or so. So if James Conner is going to be a valuable fantasy asset in this game, it needs to come in the receiving game. Last year, he did have 19 carries for 111 yards on two touchdowns in the first game. And then 14 carries for 60, 64 yards in the second game, along with three receptions on 30 yards. I need to see those receptions again tonight. Keep in mind as well that James Conner is going to be probably the most heavily owned option in this game. And that brings it over to Jalen Samuels. And Jalen Samuels is really, really interesting for me. I'm going to go into this. I'm going to set up a lineup. And I'm definitely going to have Jalen Samuels in at least one of my lineups. But he's not going to be that primary option. I just think that the Bengals struggle with big plays. And this could be a huge, huge opportunity for Jalen Samuels because he specializes in those big plays. He's only been on the field, though, for 33% of the offensive snaps so far this year and only has seven touches. So this is definitely a gamble on Jalen Samuels. Like I said, I'm not going to play him in most lineups, but I want to play him in at least one. You never know. If he gets that one shot this week, he could end up going off. When it comes to the receiving position, the... Cincinnati Bengals have gotten abused by speedsters. Abused by speedsters. Lockett was one for two for 44 yards and a touchdown in the first game. In the next game up against the 49ers, both Debo Samuel and Goodwin went off. Debo Samuel was five for seven for 86 yards, and Goodwin was three receptions on three targets for 77 yards and a touchdown. And then John Brown the following week was four receptions for 55 yards and a tutty. While they allowed the underneath slot position, Beasley to get 10 targets. With that being said, Juju Smith-Schuster has not looked good so far this year. I mean, last week, yeah, he had 81 yards, but 76 yards of that came on one catch. Hey, I'll take it if it comes this week. But this is the interesting part about it, is these guys are getting beat by speedsters, right? And they said that Deontay Johnson is going to be taking over more of a role because Dante Moncrief is just dropping balls left and right. Dante Moncrief has all the speed in the world and all the talent in the world. He just doesn't have hands. But Juju Smith-Schuster and James Washington both ran 4-5-4s. And Deontay Johnson only ran a 4-5-3. Moncrief is the only one out there with any speed. And they are getting beat by speedsters. So even if Moncrief does get a limited role, he could end up having a huge game this week. 4-4 four, four wheels on him could end up burning the Cincinnati Bengals defense just like other teams have. And we talked about, hey, if there's only a certain amount of play action fakes this week, they could still result in big plays. Well, one of them could end up going to Dante Moncrief. So just like Jalen Samuels, I'm not going to play in Dante Moncrief in a lot of different matchups tonight. 
but I do want him in one, and I probably want him in the bonus slot. When it comes to James Washington and Deontay Johnson, I don't know if I'm going to be playing them in a ton of matchups when it comes to tonight's games, but I do like James Washington, the chemistry that he showed with Mason Rudolph. We've already covered that, and he could be in for a couple different third down situations where you know Mason Rudolph trusts him. Maybe red zone stuff. We'll see what happens with that. So we covered the quarterback position. Obviously, we want Mason Rudolph. The running back position, although James Conner is going to be highly owned, I'm probably going to end up grabbing him on a few different rosters. I got to see how the salary matches up. Jalen Samuels, I'm going to play in one lineup where, hey, he could end up going off, but I'm just going to do one lineup. And then we talked about the wide receiver position, how we're going to do the same thing with Dante Moncrief. We're probably going to end up owning a good amount of Juju Smith-Schuster. James Washington is an option if the salary works out okay. And Deontay Johnson, I have to see how that salary looks as well, but I'm probably going to be playing him in very many matchups either. We talked about the tight end position with Nick Vanette, who I'm guessing is going to be used more of a blocker this week, but who knows? He could get some red zone targets. Mason Rudolph does like to go to the tight end in the red zone. If Vance McDonald does play, there's a good chance I'm going to end up starting Vance McDonald. So don't scratch him off your list. Just keep an eye on him. Now on the Cincinnati Bengals side, right now, currently, the Steelers have allowed the sixth most fantasy points to the quarterback, and they've only played three games. So Andy Dalton is definitely an option here. I'm not a fan of Joe Mixon or the Cincinnati Bengals defense. So Andy Dalton is going to have his work cut out for him. And I think he could end up succeeding. I'm going to go into the wide receiver position here in a minute. But when we're looking at the running back, Joe Mixon just has not been good. He's had 32 rushes so far for 87 yards. That's 2.7 per carry. Obviously, Zach Taylor coming in wanted to do something similar that they had over there with Gurley, but it's just not working with Joe Mixon and that terrible offensive line. The biggest advantage that Todd McVay had going into the Rams situation was the signing of Whitworth and having Roger Saffold right there as well. I mean, that, that changed the whole entire outcome and landscape for Sean McVay in that running game. Joe Mixon is probably going to be a little bit out of my price range, personally. When we bounce over wide receivers, we have Tyler Boyd hogging all the targets. He has 24 receptions so far for 250 yards. On the other end of the spectrum, John Ross is getting the yards. He's had 13 receptions for 292 and three touchdowns. The Steelers allowed Lockett to grab 10 receptions on 12 targets for 79 yards. DK Metcalf had three receptions on seven targets for 61 yards and a touchdown. Debo Samuel had three receptions on seven targets for 44 yards. And then Philip Dorsett, they ended up allowing four receptions for 95 yards and two touchdowns. Julian Edelman, six receptions for 83 yards. Josh Gordon, three receptions for 73 yards. Obviously, that's the Patriots, a little bit different situation. But they're just allowing receptions to happen all over the field. With the 49ers, they probably could have put up more, but they were dominating the Steelers with that run game. Dominating. So they didn't need to pass. With that being said, the Steelers are 26 for 29 over 300 yards allowed to the slot receivers so far this season. Let me repeat that. 26 of 29 and over 300 yards out of the slot in three games. Tyler Boyd runs over half of his snaps out of the slot. Think he's going to get a bunch of retargets this week? I think so. But then you look at the speedsters, Lock and DK, Debo Samuel, Philip Dorsett. We could even include Josh Gordon as a downfield threat. I mean, he only had three receptions for 73 yards and a touchdown, so only 24.3 yards per reception. Guys, John Ross 
and Tyler Boyd's are must starts. I'm gonna do whatever I can to make sure that I have these two guys in almost all of my matchups. And I'm probably gonna have both Tyler Boyd and John Ross in a bunch of bonus slots. Either one of these guys could end up going off. They both could end up going off, to be a matter of fact. When I do this lineup, I'm actually gonna be extremely, extremely interested to see if I can fit both Andy Dalton, Mason Rudolph, John Ross, Tyler Boyd, and Juju Smith-Schuster all on the same roster. We're gonna see what we can do on this. I doubt it can happen, but you never know. When it comes to the tight end position, they're not really using the tight end that much. I mean, Uzi is four receptions for 66 yards. Eifert has nine receptions for 54 yards and one touchdown. But the Steelers did give up five receptions for 50 yards to Disley and the one touchdown. And George Kittle got six receptions on 57 yards when they played him. Obviously, the Patriots don't have a tight end, don't really need a tight end. So I think Izzo had like one catch or something like that. Either way, the Steelers could end up giving up something to Tyler Eifert, especially in the red zone. So if you want a dark horse play once again, or somebody that you know you can end up throwing in as a lower cost option, Tyler Eifert or Uzuma could be that guy, but I'm not gonna be playing them in most lineups. They're definitely worth taking a shot on, but you don't want them in every single lineup. With that being said, guys, I'm going to go ahead and put together a roster for you guys right here live and explain to you what my thoughts are on each position as I do it. So we're going to start out with uh, Fanduel. I'm just going to go over some prices like Andy Dalton being 15000 Mason Rudolph being 14k, Juju Smith-Schuster 13.5k, Tyler Boyd 13k, Joe Mixon 12.5k, James Conner 12k. That's a weird one for me right there, especially since the fact that not only has James Cotter put up more fantasy points per game than Joe Mixon, but he also has an easier matchup going against Cincinnati, who has a more porous run defense. So that's a little bit of a curious thing I might want to look into. But John Ross is at 11,500. Chris Boswell's at 10. Uh, if Vance McDonald plays, he's at 9.5. Bullock's at 9 grand. If you want to take a shot on Tate, he is 8,000. Tyler Eifert, want to take a shot on him, he's 7,5. Giovanni Bernard is 7. James Samuels is 7. James Washington is only 65, along with Dante Moncrief only being 6. That could be big. Nick Finette is 5 if you want to save some money. And Eckerson, who has a little bit of upside there, some sneaky play, is 5. Uzuma is 5 as well, so there could be some value there. So let's go ahead and build this lineup. I'm going to start out with my MVP slot and who I really think is gonna go off. And I'm gonna go with somebody that's probably gonna be pretty highly owned, but not as owned as other players. And we're gonna go with Tyler Boyd in that bonus slot. Up next, we're gonna go to the flex. And I'm gonna try and squeeze in Andy Dalton with Mason Rudolph and just see what I can get with that. I'm gonna throw in Juju Smith-Schuster in there and I'm left with 4,500. So there's no way to get those guys all into the same lineup, obviously. So I'm gonna go ahead and take out Juju Smith-Schuster on this one and switch him up to John Ross. And that's gonna leave me with 6,500. And I'm gonna want to get somebody on the Pittsburgh side of things. And like I talked about, I like James Washington a lot this week. I like Dante Moncrief a lot. So if I wanna take the risk, I'm going Dante Moncrief in this situation. However, this is going to be one of my safer lineups, so I'm going to go ahead and go with James Washington. So I'm here with Tyler Boyd in the bonus slot at 13,000, Andy Dalton at 15,000, Mason Rudolph at 14,000, John Ross at 11,5, and James Washington at 6,5. 
I think that's an extremely, extremely safe lineup, and I think that we'll end up producing at a high level. I'm going to go ahead and do one more for you guys because I really want to go a Pittsburgh heavy run as well. And I'm going to go ahead and throw in there for Mason Rudolph. So I'm going to go here, and normally I don't put quarterbacks in the bonus and a half situation, but I think that Rudolph has tremendous, tremendous upside this game, and I really don't know which wide receiver on the Pittsburgh Steelers is going to go off just because it's going to be such an easy matchup for them, but none of them really have the speed outside of Moncrief. So I'm going to go ahead and put Mason Rudolph in there just in case he ends up hitting Moncrief for, you know, 70 yards on one or two receptions. Then maybe he goes to Deontay, what, for three receptions. Then he ends up going to Drew Smith-Schuster for maybe 50 yards and a touchdown. And James Washington gets 60 yards. That's how I think this game is going to look among the wide receiver situation. I'm not saying those are the exact yards for each player, but I just see an even split for these guys when it comes to receptions. But I'm going to want to play Juju Smith-Schuster on this one with Mason Rudolph upside with the touchdowns. And the big plays. James Conner, once again, we talked about how susceptible this defense is to big plays into running backs. So I want to put James Conner in there as well. I'm sitting here with Mason Rudolph in the bonus, Juju Smith-Schuster, and James Conner. I think that the highest owned player in this matchup is going to be James Conner. So although I'll play him to keep up with everybody else just in case he does go off, I don't want him in my bonus slot. I want the upside of somebody else who could end up having a bigger game but is less owned. So I'm sitting here with 20.5K, and I need to make a decision on which direction I want to go. If I end up grabbing one of these higher-end guys, I can pair him with the lower-end guy. Somebody like, if I take Tyler Boyd, I'm left with 7,500, which would mean that I could grab up somebody like Tyler Eifert and take the shot, Jalen Samuels and take the shot, James Washington, Dante Moncrief. So I end up getting the stability of four guys that I believe are definitely going to put up points and then taking that extra risk with another guy. If I end up going instead of Tyler Boyd on this one, I go John Ross because we see how the Steelers have been getting burned. Then I will be left with 9,000. And that leaves me with Randy Bullock, the kicker. Deontay Johnson, who's extremely intriguing and was showing tremendous chemistry with Mason Rudolph last week, grabbing three of six targets for, I believe, 52 yards and a touchdown. So that could be one too. Auden Tate, who, once again, I just think he's a middle-of-the-road guy. I mean, last week he had a tremendous advantageous matchup. I don't know if you guys listened to my podcast two weeks ago, but I talked about how Auden Tate could end up being a huge sleeper, and he was. But uh, Tyler Eifert is another option. Giovanni Bernard, Jalen Samuels, once again. So I'm looking at mainly Deontay Johnson in this stretch, but now I have to weigh. Do I go with a combination of John Ross and Deontay Johnson? Are they going to put up more points? Or would the combination of Tyler Boyd and James Washington put up more points? I don't think there's going to be enough field goals to really start a kicker this week. I think it's going to be very offense heavy. So you're going to get a bunch of extra points, but I don't really see the field goals. These are just two terrible defenses. But the, the big question here is, do I think that Tyler Boyd and James Washington are going to go off or John Ross and Deontay Johnson? So what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to have both of those lineups. It would really suck if it ended up being John Ross and James Washington. <laughs> but, you know, that's the chances that you play. I might end up playing one of those lineups as well. But yeah, these are going to be my three lineups, so I'm going to go ahead and review them for you real quick. I have Mason Rudolph, Juju Smith-Schuster, James Conner, John Ross, Deontay Johnson. And that's the case where the Steelers end up using the play-action fake. Constantly, they go up, they break off a big run, and they're winning, and they hold on to their lead. The other lineup for me is going to be the Mason Rudolph, Juju Smith-Schuster, James Conner, Tyler Boyd, and James Washington, which shows this one is a little bit more of a shootout because they're going to Tyler Boyd for ball control and James Washington for upside. And then you have the other one where this is a shootout, 
Both teams are scoring. There is no defense whatsoever, and they're just trying to one-up each other. You're having Tyler Boyd go off with Andy Dalton, Mason Rudolph, John Ross, and James Washington. The only way to get in there and get this lineup is by playing James Washington or somebody less expensive than 6,500. So keep that in mind if you're going to start out with the, the two quarterbacks and two primary wide receivers for the Bengals. So here's a recap of my thoughts for the individual players just really quick. I like Andy Dalton. I like Mason Rudolph. I think they can both go off. Juju Smith-Schuster has a lot of potential, and he's kind of a squeaky wheel right now. He could end up getting some targets like Devontae Adams did this past week up against the Eagles. Tyler Boyd is a great option in the flex. The Steelers are giving up over 300 yards to the flex position and allowing 26 out of 29 receptions. Joe Mixon, not a fan, too expensive at 12-5, and I think that it's shocking that he's ranked more than James Conner. James Conner has tremendous potential. Don't forget they allow 16 explosive plays to the running back. John Ross, I think he could end up having a huge game, but obviously he relies on those big plays to happen for him. It could happen this week. The Steelers have a very porous defense. Chris Boswell and Randy Bullock, I don't think have a lot of potential in this game because I think it's going to be an offensive firestorm, and they are not kicking field goals. Deontay Johnson, who had a big week this week, could end up capitalizing off of more snaps. That's what the coaches are promising him. If he gets more snaps and he starts eating into James Washington workload, that could be big news. However, they're just expecting him to be the third receiver, not the number two. Tate, I do not think, has a good matchup this week just because they're going to need firepower, not ball control. And if they do need ball control, then Tyler Boyd is their go-to guy. Auden Tate is kind of just a bully out there. I mean, he's like the Mike Williams type, type player, just a poor man's version of that. He's just a fill-in until A.J. Green comes back. Tyler Eifert, if you want a dark horse play, he could be the go-to guy. But he only had one reception last week and has maxed out at five targets total so far this season. So he would have to get a red zone reception in order to be viable. If they are down, Giovanni Bernard could end up coming into the game. If Joe Mixon is just completely inefficient, he could be a dark horse play but not fantasy relevant unless he ends up breaking off a big one. Giovanni Bernard has a lot of potential but not somebody I'm looking at playing, especially if I'm playing limited lineups. If you want to take a shot at him, go ahead and do it if you think that the Steelers are going to be up and they need to come back. Giovanni Bernard could be that option. Jalen Samuels, once again, could be that dark horse. I am going to play Jalen Samuels, most likely in a bonus slot in a different lineup, but I have to figure out the upside lineup for that. Once again, he is the big play specialist there in Pittsburgh, but he just has not been getting the snaps. Don't play Jalen Samuels in a lot of lineups, but you can play him in one or two. James Washington has chemistry with Mason Rudolph. I think he's the best cheap option on this board where you know that he's going to end up with some points. Dante Moncrief is that big flyer, very similar to Jalen Samuels. Dante Moncrief could end up finishing the game with one reception for 60 yards and a touchdown. That could end up being enough for a winner. I see him this game hopefully getting three receptions and a touchdown for close to 100 yards or so. He could be that big winner for you guys if you play him in a bonus position. Nick Vanette is an option if you try and go heavy on the top five guys or so. And don't forget, he's only been with the team for, I believe, a week. So he's new, but he has already played up against the Cincinnati Bengals when he was with Seattle. All right, guys, went through a long one today. Did a lot of research, so I wanted to let you guys know. Like I said, this is an extremely juicy matchup, but it's almost too juicy. Anybody could end up going off in this one. So with that in mind, I wouldn't be afraid to play any of these players outside of Joe Mixon.
It's just where do you want to take the shot? Where do you think it's going to happen? I gave you guys the stats to win. Hopefully you guys do the right combination of players. I appreciate you guys for listening once again. Good luck tonight. And thank you for letting me intervene with your fantasy football lives. Stay